And welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. When I started this podcast over three years ago, I sat down and wrote a list of people who I thought I'd want to have on the show. Some I've gotten, some I'm still chasing, but today I'm super excited to cross one more name off the list. And it literally took a pandemic to get this done. Because they're always on the road. It's one half of Air Supply, songwriter Graham Russell. Now Graham talks about the formation of Air Supply with him and Russell Hitchcock. They were huge back in the early 80s. I mean, they hit it big in Australia. They toured with Rod Stewart before they made it big here. Just a string of hits we talk about. They did something only the Beatles have done to that point. We talk about that. Also talk about one of my favorite videos. Not of Air Supply, just of all time and just how much fun it was for them to make. They're still touring. They do over 130 shows a year now. They're celebrating their 45th anniversary. And they've never gotten into a fight. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, bands break apart, they reunite. These guys have been together, and it's it's amazing. And they're still going strong. Graham also is a poet, and he's written a couple books of poetry, and he recites one of his poems on the show, which is fantastic. They co-hosted Solid Gold, which is fantastic. We talk about that. Graham, really nice guy. I'm super excited to bring this interview to you guys, and I hope you enjoy it. So Graham, I know you guys do like over 130 shows a year. How has this like quarantine kind of uh, affected you guys and you personally? Uh, well, you know, at first it was very strange, of course, for everyone around the world. But you kind of got I got used to it, you know, and I I used the time. I wrote a lot of songs. I wrote like uh, 16 songs in the first two months. Uh, you know, I just applied myself and I thought, well, I've got this time. I want to make the most use of it. Because normally, you know, I write I write songs between shows or days off, but now I had the luxury of a lot of time, so I I really enjoyed it and I got into playing my grand piano a lot more. But you know, I you get used to it. You know, I think everyone's done that. You realize if you're locked down in your house, you get hey, I can't go anywhere and I can't go to a restaurant. So it's a different lifestyle, uh, and I think now for everyone it'll be difficult going back you know whatever whatever back's gonna be right yeah i, I had tickets to see you guys at uh, westbury music fair in long island uh, i've seen oh, you there you know a, a bunch of times um so have they given you kind of a sense on when you guys can start resume touring and what would that would look like they have we have vegas on uh, labor day which we've played for years right uh, and we're going to do it at the moment, you know, that Vegas is opening up, but I don't think it's opening up for uh, entertainment at the moment, but they're saying it's going to be open then. So that'll be our first show back, which I think is September 2nd or something. Right. Now, um, I know this is your 45th anniversary of, yeah. you know, the band. I'm 45, so I guess we kind of grew up together, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What first got you involved in, in music, even before meeting Russell? Um, I don't know what it was, but when I grew up, when I was very young, uh, when I was like seven or eight years old, we, growing up in England, a lot of people have, in England have what they call the front room, which is a room you're never allowed to go in. And when, in, if you have guests or visitors, you go in that room and it's all always tidy and always clean. But in our front room, we had a, a piano and I, uh, used to sneak in there and play it, you know, but uh, that's how I started. 
and then from there I started to play guitar um, when I was like 11 and then I, at the same time I started to write songs and I didn't know why I was writing songs but uh, I just did it you know it was a natural thing for me. Right. How old were you when you, the, you wrote the first song that you, you actually recorded? Oh that we recorded I was uh, 20, 22 when I first went into a recording studio. So at that point, I, I'd already been writing songs for 11 years, but they were terrible. You know, the first <laughs> the first several hundred songs are always terrible. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, so by that point, when I was 22 and I went into a studio, it was a whole awakening, you know, suddenly hearing something you do come back through the speakers. That was quite a revelation. Right. And then uh, meeting Russell uh, doing Jesus Christ Superstar. What was your first initial reaction about uh, upon hearing his voice? Oh, it it really blew me away. We were sitting down. We hadn't met. The whole cast was there. I think there were 35 people. And we were all sitting, waiting for the command from the musical director. And we were going to sing, uh, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar. They, Hosanna. Oh, no, that's wait, heaven on your mind, rather. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I heard of this incredible noise from this, this choral sound that was just incredible. It was majestic. And there was this little skinny guy next to me that had this soaring tenor voice that just cut through everything like a knife. And at the end of the song, I just turned to him. I said, wow, you've got a great voice. And he said, oh, you know, thank you. And, mm. And, and then I introduced myself. I just said, I'm Graham Russell. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm a Russell too. I'm Russell Hitchcock. So it, it went from there. We became great friends. He was the first person I spoke to in the whole company, you know. At that point, we both, even though him and I didn't know each other, we were the two green guys in the cast. Most of the other actors and singers had been yeah. in other shows, but we hadn't. And I didn't know anybody. So... I kind of kept to myself, and so did right. he. So we be we uh, became friends because we didn't know anybody else, you know. Right. So what what was your goal back then to like be in like uh, an ensemble, like you know, in a show, or actually branch off it to be like in a band? Well, I I realized when I got into the show that it was going to be around for eighteen months. We knew it was going to go for eighteen months. Yeah. So I thought to myself, well, I have eighteen months to get something going because I knew I could use Superstar as a springboard to something. Right. Uh, I wanted to stay in the music business, performing or doing or whatever. And I didn't want to go back to my, my day job, you know, uh, which was okay, but I thought right. this was much more fun. So I, I gave myself a, a task that in the next 18 months, I needed to sort something out and put something together if I was going to keep working, you know. Did you talk to uh, Russell about, a question who brought up the you know the concept of air supply was it you was it him uh it was both of us we started to sing beatles songs between shows then i would slide a couple of my songs in and he would say mm. uh oh what's that i'll say so it's a, one of my songs i said you know i write a lot of songs and he started to sing them and they sounded really good we both sounded good and we knew we did you know and people would come by and say god you guys sound good and and then as a joke, I don't know who it was, maybe both of us, we said, oh, maybe we should start a band or something, So, which we did. And we had a little trio. 
and we there was a lady in the show that eventually played Mary Magdalene, but at the time she joined us, she was just in the chorus. And there was a three, we were a three piece, three vocals, acoustic guitar, and uh, and Russell used to play with uh, congas, and we were really good. It used to sound like Crosby, Stills and Nash, and right. we were playing original songs, a couple of covers. But we started to work around clubs after Superstar would end in the evening, and we got a good reputation. So that's really how it started, you know. Right, and you got obviously a record deal as a result of that. We did. We we made we recorded two songs in the orchestra pit of Superstar, and we used the show's drummer and the show's keyboard player, and uh, we we recorded it on a cassette player. And it was pretty cheesy, but the song the songs were really good and the vocals were great. And it just sounded good, you know. And we took it all around to all the record companies and they would laugh at us when we walked in, you know, coming in with a cassette player. And and everybody turned us down except the la- the very last one. He says, I'm gonna give you a shot. Right. And and he did and we so we made a record, you know. Yeah, and I, I, that blew up in Australia, and you guys uh, toured with Rod Stewart as a result of that, right? We did. Our first record went to number one in like 10 days. <laughs> we made an album in a week, and that went to number one too. So at that time, we were the the most successful band in Australia, and Rod Stewart was coming, and so he always wanted to uh, the biggest band to open for him. Which was us. So we opened for him, and after the first show in uh, Adelaide, he came backstage and said, I want you to open for me in the United States. So, which we did. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lot of luck. We were very lucky in the early days, you know, we had a lot of luck on our side. Right. Was there anything that you picked up from from Rod as a result from touring him for a while? Absolutely. Well, in Superstar, we learned so much. We learned about movement, uh, how people are always on time and you have to pay attention to what other people are doing and of course to what the director wants you to do. With Rod, it was a different thing. We we knew we had to learn from him. He was the biggest act in the world. So we kind of went to school for six months. We, we watched his show every night and we watched how he controls an audience and what he says and his movement. And so we had all all that knowledge from Superstar, theatrical knowledge, then all the knowledge from Rod. So by the time we'd done that, uh, we were kind of ready to to do something real, you know. I mean, opening for Rod was an an incredible opportunity. And, uh, you know, we became good friends with with his band and with Rod too. Uh, It was a great experience. It was, we were like going back to school. And after we'd right. finished that, we had another, we had two more years before we recorded Lost in Love. And, but we recorded that in 78. But by the time 1980 came around, we were kind of ready. We were armed and dangerous. We, we had the songs. <laughs> and, uh, and Russell had great confidence as the lead singer. And, and the rest kind of fell into place, you know. It was weird. Right. And it's... Right, and it's kind of rare because you guys, you know, touring the world in, in, in America also w- with Rod before releasing your probably one of your greatest albums. 
So yes. it, it's like you, you're going kind of like backwards, so to speak, in, in we, that regard. <laughs> we were going backwards, yeah. Uh, I mean, in Australia, we had a hit record and nobody knew who we right. were. In the right. U.S., nobody knew we were and we didn't have a hit record. I mean, walking out on the stage with the biggest act in the world before him, people didn't really want to see you. You know, they don't want to yeah. see opening acts. Right, right. Uh, but we had half an hour, you know, and and uh, it was pretty cool. Nobody knew who we were. They didn't know any of the songs. Yeah. But we, we did okay. I mean, we didn't break. Yeah. But right. we did okay. We did the best we could. Nothing happened. But we had an incredible experience to that would last a lifetime and still does, you know. But it gave us, we learned so much, uh, which we couldn't have learned anywhere else in that time frame. Knowing that we were going to have that incredible success yeah. in 1980, we needed to figure out what was going on because when we first came out in in Australia, we didn't know what was going. We did, we were as green as grass. We didn't know anything. We just had this record, and we we had a lot of songs, and we sounded great. But that's all we had. We had no knowledge of being yeah. a professional musician, you know. But we do now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Lost in Love. You mentioned that. I believe that took, what, 15 minutes to write?
He did, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, are people uh, uh, flabbergasted by that? But if you think about it, it's a, such a simple song. There's only like four chords in it, and right. there's no bridge. There's a chorus and a verse, and they're almost kind of the same. Yeah. So it's this rolling song, and it just starts and it rolls along. So it was a quick song, but that's the way I like to work. I'm, I write very quickly, but I think about songs before I actually commit to them. You know, it's just was the way that, right. Was that the quickest song that you've written? It, it is the quickest one, yeah, yeah ever. But, right. And one of the most successful, isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like your songs are so like emotional, you know, they're powerful, they're beautiful. Do you think about like balancing that as as you write, or is it just a certain like you know aspect for you know? it? Just it just happens. I never think about what song I might write. Uh, I have it in my head what I'd like it to be, but it's always different. I mean, if I just grab a guitar or sit at the piano, I just start playing and something happens. Something will come, and I'll say to myself, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Yeah. Uh, is it going somewhere? And if it stays, I'll keep playing it. And then if it, it keeps keeps staying there, then I'll know yeah. to jump on it. And I'll usually finish it pretty quick, you know. Right. And then, you know, 1980 came and, you know, that song of the year, I, I believe the top song, yeah, Lost in Love. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I guess your touring changed a little bit from a couple of years earlier. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in Australia in 78, we had to stop playing because we couldn't afford to go out on the road. We were earning $200 a night wow. and we had to pay the band, a PA, and we just couldn't afford it. We were going broke, so we had to stop. And then, of course, in 1980, I remember our first show was October the 1st at Perkins Palace in Los Angeles. Mm. And I went out after the sound check. I went out and at the front, people were queuing up to see us. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And I went out where all the trucks were and the buses because yeah. we were going to a bus tour. And I'd never been on a bus before. <laughs> and I, ju I just stood there and I, and I smelled the diesel fumes. And I thought, wow, this is this is yeah. exciting. Right. And it was exciting. We I think we did five nights. The first five nights were consecutive and we yeah. we overnighted everyone and and it was a new life, a new life beginning, and it was very exciting. Yeah. Any memorable stories from touring, you know, that you, that you can share? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in, in those days, we were our first tour went for nine months. We were on those buses for nine months, right. so we really didn't have much of a life, uh, and we just, you know, knew we had to get some sleep. You were sleeping on a bus, get to the venue, maybe two in the afternoon, and then it all started again. Uh, so you had to keep on top of everything. You had to keep on top of your game. You had to get some sleep. Uh, so there was really nothing going on. You know, we, it was all we could do just to maintain ourselves because it was new to us. So the, the really, the funny story is just us being there. That's the funniest yeah. thing because I've always thought it could have happened to a thousand of the bands. Right. But but it didn't. It happened to us, and we were probably the least likely for it to happen mm. to. And but we were very aware that we were very lucky. We had a lot of luck yeah. in our career, you know. Right. When I would imagine, right when the band formed, you guys 
basically decided you're going to write the songs and Russell is going to sing them, right? Was that the yeah. agreement back then? It never was. Wavered? It was, yeah. Because I was writing so much and I was always an album in front. Like when the the first album came out, I was already writing the next one. And when that came out, I was writing the Now and Forever album. So I've always stayed in front yeah. simply because uh, Clive Davis from Arista, right. who we were signed to, he kept saying, he said, you've got to keep writing those songs. He says, you know, mm. we need an, we'll need another album in six months. And so we were touring for nine months. Then we'd go back to Australia and record another album. And that went on for three years, nine months on the road, back yeah. to Australia to record. And then it was kind of like that, you know, so we were we were inside this machine and we didn't we couldn't really see it because we were inside of it. But it was great. You know, I, you know, Clive would call us and say, "Okay, I want to hear the new songs. And then if we were near New York, uh, we'd go and jump into a studio, do some demos and we'd take them. And then he would give us his opinion, you know. (laughs) Right. Was um, so I'd imagine the the relationship between you guys and Clive was was pretty good. It was great, yeah. Yeah. So then after you know Lost in Love, that album came out. You immediately, like you said, you work ahead. So it wasn't like you need there was too much pressure on the company, the record company, because you guys were yeah were smart about it. Whereas a lot of these bands have you know whole their whole lives to write an album, record it, then they have six months to. That's right. So yeah, you guys were well ahead of the game. Yeah. We were. Yeah. Yeah. Very now well, you guys ha- yeah had some fun videos and I just want to talk about one of them in uh, in particular even the nights are better Someone to hold me 
I'm oh, yes. from New York, so I, I know Coney Island. So yeah. one quick question. You guys broke into Coney Island, right? And, yeah. and then all of a sudden the lights pop up. So what, yeah. what was going on there? <laughs> well, they they had the uh, they knew we were coming, obviously. I knew. But right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, you know, Russell and I had never been there before. Okay. So it was kind of cool. And they said, "Well, we want you to uh, ride these bikes with these two girls." You know. Yeah. And going, oh, really? You know. And we thought, God, you want us to ride a bike? That's not really our vibe you know our image but we went along with it and of course it was it was cool but it was a great place but you're right yeah as soon as we walked in there boom yeah. everything started to move and, uh, but it was cool yeah exactly so i guess your vibe was more of the bumper cars right more than the bicycles yeah yeah exactly yeah i used to i used to love those as a child though and when the the fair would come yeah yeah it's a lot of fun i don't know i can't think of too many videos that have bumper cars in them but that definitely was no we, we've cornered that market yeah absolutely i'm sure growing up one of your influences were the beatles i, I know oh, i can yeah. imagine yeah so to have you know tie their streak of top five singles must have been pretty uh, rewarding. Oh, yeah, it was. We couldn't believe it. I remember, uh, you know, like on the third or fourth single, we'd be we'd get the charts a week early. You know, yeah. Ty would call us and he'd say, uh, you know, and he'd say, well, where do you think you went to this week? Do you think you went up or down? We go, I don't know. And then he would say, no, you went up 10 spots. You're, you're at number two or number three. So we kind of got used to it. And uh, which is not a really healthy thing to do because yeah. when it stops happening, you don't like it. But right. I, rem I remember when the one that you love came out, the album came out at the same time as the single. And that was the first single. And we were a bit nervous because, you know, a second album is always uh, uh, the, yeah. the telltale story of a band. Usually right. a lot of bands don't have a second album. And we thought, God, what's going to happen? And then Clive called us. And he was he was being funny and he's and he was kind of pretending to be down. He said, "Oh, I have got some news." And we said, "Oh God, what is it?" He said, uh, "The one that you love went to number yeah. one." Now the night has gone. Now the night has gone away. Doesn't seem that long. We hardly had two words to say. For just another day I promise this one will go slow Oh, we have the right, you know We have the right, you know Don't say the morning's come Don't say the morning's come so soon Must we end this way when so much here is hard to lose Love is everywhere, I know it is Such moments as this are too few Oh, it's all up to you It's all up to
have the words to say The only words I can believe Hold me in your arms for just another day I promise this one will go slow <laughs> we were like on cloud nine, of course. Yeah. So then I imagine, you know, Rod Stewart was opening for you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because, you know, we, I mean, Rod is still a legend. Right. He's been a legend forever. And yet, you know, there are some artists like him that just never fade anywhere. He's just such a, a great artist. And now he's, you know, not working because nobody is. But, yeah. I mean, he still deceases, he still tours and... It's amazing, you know. Yeah. I hope we can follow in his footsteps, you know. Yeah, and then you, you guys co-hosted uh, Solid Gold for a little bit. We did. Yeah, what was that experience like? It was great because yeah. we got to meet a lot of artists and yeah. uh, everybody was so friendly. And uh, that was one of the reasons we really moved from Australia to, we yeah. moved to Los Angeles in 84 because we were doing that show every other week and then they asked us to host it with Andy Gibb and Marilyn McCoo and Dionne Warwick and and it was great and so instead of flying in and out all the time we we started to think about moving to the US which we did so we moved in 84 and uh, but that show was great because it was a huge national show and it just clicked with us you know they loved us and we loved doing it and it was very instrumental in our continued success you know Right, and then there was one clip I've, I saw on YouTube. I think I remember watching it when it was on, seeing a medley with Dionne Warwick. So that oh, was yeah, a yeah. Be- yeah, beautiful medley. So that, I mean, she, she's a legend too, so oh it must have been yeah. you know, fantastic. To- it was, it was great. And, you know, I remember speaking, the Righteous Brothers were on one week, and right. I remember just sitting down, we had this great chat with, with Bill Medley, because he's a legend, he's been around forever. And uh, 
so we got to know the in, inside story and a lot of these big famous yeah. singers you know famous artists and here we were two green guys <laughs> from australia you know so yeah. for us we were all ears going oh wow you know right. it was great yeah and then, you know some of the other hits were you know written by jim simon and you know, yeah. other people so w- was that okay for you to have songs br- you know brought to you to, yeah to it was and i'll tell you why i mean a lot of people a lot of songwriters would say Oh no, I'm only going to record my songs. But right. I've never become, gone down that road because Russell is a world-class singer. He's a great singer, and great singers need to sing great songs. And there's going to be songs that he'll want to sing, you know, because there are great songwriters in the world, and Steinman is one of them. And Clive would come and say, "Have a listen to this," and he would say, "I think you should really do it," you know. And we'd listen and we'd go, okay, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, what's the downside? Because at that point, if Clive said, uh, if he said, oh, I want you to have listen to this song, and we would say, do you think it's going to be a hit? And he'd yeah. say, yeah. yeah. And if he said it's going to be a hit, he it knows was, it yeah. was going to be a hit. Right. And you know what? It was every time. And he was, Clive was on a mission too. He wanted to get, he wanted to be the first one since the Beatles to have. A, a, an artist or a band with seven yeah. top fives. He was on a right. mission, yeah. and he achieved it, you know, which was amazing. Right. So, like, you, you guys were prolific early 80s, and you took a little break, I guess, 82 to 85, without releasing an album. Was that, like, was that planned because you guys were doing uh, Solid Gold? Yeah, it was be- simply because we didn't want to make another album that was the same as the, f- as the three we'd right. just done. Yeah. You know, it's redundant. Plus, right. at that point, we got offers to go to uh, not offers but invitations to go to like china and other places that nobody had been to before right uh you know taiwan and korea all these places because the asian audience in particular really latched on to us and they said we want you to come here and nobody had been to these places we said okay let's do it so we we toured asia for those three years not continuously but we kept going backwards and forwards and yeah. consequently, that became a, a very big place for us. And in fact, you know, apart from the virus, we pretty much go to Asia once a year yeah. uh, to different different markets and different countries, which is great because not a yeah. lot of Australian artists go there even now. You know, right. they've started to in the last yeah. five years, but right. we've been going there for a long time and it's cool, you know. Yeah. How has like, you know, the... I guess the digital age, the streaming age of music, like affected you guys? Um, not really, because we, you know, we've never kind of been hip with anyone. We've never been the hippest band in the world. Uh, quite the opposite, actually. So the streaming didn't affect us uh, because we're really a live band and we love to right. play live. Uh, you know, people. I think people predominantly stopped buying CDs about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So it didn't affect us. Whatever, you know, if people are going to buy our CD, they're going to buy it or they're going to buy it at the show. But um, actually, I was surprised how many streams we do get when we found out a few weeks ago. But it didn't really affect us because we're in a different category, I think. Right. I mean, with a new artist now, They've got to get uh, streams and downloads before yeah. anybody takes notice. They've right. got a, a new artist. You've got to have like a million downloads before anybody looks at you. So it's a different time, but uh, it doesn't really affect us, you know. Yeah. 
Have you thought about writing songs for other artists? Uh, you know, if somebody wants me to write a song for them, they'll contact me, I think. Right. But I write musicals now, too. I'm on my yeah. fifth musical. So that really um, keeps me uh, sharp. Yeah. Uh, because it's a different animal than just writing a, a three-minute song. And I, and I love it. And I'm, I've kind of created a relationship with that genre yeah. with myself. And I just love it, you know. But uh, if people want to assault me to write a song, yeah. they want a song... They want an air supply song, then they got to get hold of me, and I'll write them one. You know, right? Yeah, I love writing songs. Yeah. I don't it's for anyone. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? I do. It was the first time was in Sydney, and it was 1976 when we had our first single out called uh, "Love and Other Bruises."
and uh, I was with Russell, and we knew it was going to come on this weird uh, yeah. off-the-cuff station called 2GB, and they were the first to play it, and we knew it was going to be at this certain time, and we listened, and and it just sounded incredible. And, and I, we said, well, if nothing else, we've made a record, and we've heard it on the radio, and they can't take that away from us, you know. All right. So we were very thrilled. But of course, as your career goes on, your goals and objectives change too. Like yeah. we wanted a record. I remember when we got that first record in our hand, Russell, Russell said, now I can show my grandchildren that I actually made a record. <laughs> right. you, know, you, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. uh, of course, it changes. Then you want another one and another or, one, and it never ends. You know? Yeah, yeah. What about like, the most interesting place you've heard it? Uh, that I heard one oh yeah. probably in uh, you know where it was it was on the, the demilitarized zone in okay. north in north and south Korea wow we yeah we went we were going to do a show there for the military and it was in the DMZ and this four star general uh, came we arrived there and it was a snowstorm. And he said, you know, I just want you to know where you, you, you to know where you are. You know, there are people. North Korea is like a few hundred yeah. yards that way, but we're in that zone, right. which is no man's land. And all our equipment went AWOL. We couldn't find anything because of the snowstorm. And he said, anyway, I want you to tune in. We're going to tune in to this uh, uh, North Korean radio station, yeah. which was all government. And right. there was this guy yakking and yakking in North in Korean. And then suddenly there was this dead silence and then Lost in Love comes up and nobody and nobody says anything. And all the soldiers are like, whoa, that's that's unreal. We've never heard anything like that because it was a, a propaganda station. But they right. played Lost in Love. But at that show, you know, all our, none of our gear made it. Yeah. And they the general said, well, two things are going to happen. Either you're going to play or you're not. And he said, we, we have some instruments here that we can. Yeah find out what we got right. and they got a drum kit a guitar and an old piano and they put it all on stage and we did a show and it was great awesome. <laughs> yeah that's, that's great now one more question i know you've written a few uh books with poems yeah yeah you have one you can recite oh of course yeah, yeah. i got one right here i'll uh, this yeah this is my uh, third book my fourth one is coming coming out this is a very simple poem. All my poems are very short yeah. and they're very simple. Right. Uh, and I post one every Sunday, you know, on, on, online. Yeah. This is one called Am I? And it's all about being aware that everything we do is a part of everything else, that we are an integral part of the universe. And even a, a cricket or a grasshopper has a relationship with us because we share the same space. So this is called Am I? And I hope you enjoy it. Am I the pebble lying in the stream, or the water freed from melting snow? Am I a dream, a sleeping dream, that has no home, nowhere to go? Am I a thought to build a bridge between two points of view? I am at least one thing I know, a solitary monument that always longs for you. Am I the quiver of a desert flower? or the roots that lie in sacred ground? 
am I trapped in my ivory tower until the day I knock it down? Am I the curious dragonfly of orange and of blue? I am all things of that I'm sure, but nothing less and nothing more than one that longs for you. Wow, Graham, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. That thank was you for beautiful. Asking. Yeah. Thank you for your time today. Congrats on 45 years and 45 years more. And I can't wait to see you guys in concert soon. Great. Thank you, Noel. See you at Westbury. And a very special thanks to Graham for joining me today. I wish I had more time with us. So much more I wanted to ask him. You can check out their website, airsupplymusic.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the personal one nine, or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. We've got quite a few right now. Please rate and review the show. And if you don't have iTunes, not a problem. The show's on SoundCloud, it's also on Podbean, and go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, stickers, they're all there. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.